you're listening to the Deeper Christian Bible Study Series in the Book of Ephesians. Thank you for joining me, Nathan Johnson, on an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of this incredible book by Paul. Now, let's dive into the lesson for today. Well, welcome. Uh, If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, We've been walking through uh, this beginning section of Ephesians chapter 3, and again, uh, Paul is coming out of talking about the overwhelming power of God. In fact, you see that in chapter 1, verse 19, Paul says that, oh, I, I pray that you would know what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. And then Paul begins to give several illustrations. He gives the illustration of Jesus uh, in verse uh, 21 down to verse 23 of chapter 1. In chapter 2, he gives the illustration of you uh, as a demonstration of the power of God, verses 1 down through verse 10. Uh, In verses 11 down through verse 22 of chapter 2, Paul's talking about the church and and the fact that the body of Christ is a demonstration of the power of God, which is absolutely beautiful. And then as he comes into chapter 3, he says, hey, look, my life— is a demonstration of the power of God. Uh, And again, you see that in verse 7. He says, Of this I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. And again, it's that same language that he uses in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19. And he says, hey, the same power that was working in the life of Jesus, the same power that has raised you from spiritual death, the same power and, and the mercies of God that literally brought the church together and unified the body of Christ as one body is the same power that is effectually working in my life, bringing about a radical transformation so that now I am considered to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And here is this people group that I absolutely hated. In fact, I thought they were no good except for fuel for the fires of hell, <laughs> as we walk through in past sessions. Hey, this whole group that I, I just would have thought should have been cut off and had no participation in the mercy and the grace of God, he has given me such revelation that they are now to be brought in and partakers of this new reality. And here I am, a Pharisee of Pharisees. Here I am, someone who has just been so dogged in the Jewish religion. God has so radically changed my life, says Paul, that wow, I am now a proclaimer of the gospel to the Gentiles. And that is is a great, phenomenal demonstration of the power of God. Uh, If you have your Bibles, what I would like to do is I just want to read chapter 3, verse 1 down through verse 7. I want us to hear just afresh the tone of what Paul excuse me, is saying uh, in this passage. Uh, So again, Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, am a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. You may have heard of the administration of the grace of God which was given me for you, how by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have written briefly already, by which when you read it, you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Verse 6, get this. How the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ by or through the gospel. Of this I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. 
Uh, what an incredible, again, just what an incredible declaration of this whole thing. Uh, in the last session together, we were walking through this idea that uh, what you see in verse 2 uh, all the way down through verse 6 is this idea that Paul has been given this administration, uh, this ministry, uh, this position of servanthood of the grace of God for the Gentiles. And, and what is he doing? Well, it's this revelation of the mystery that he has been proclaiming. Well, what is the mystery? Oh, it's Jesus in your life. It's this radical reality of that Jesus is to be the very center, the flow, the tone, the essence of, of who you are. And what an incredible reality. And he says, hey, this, this mystery I have been declaring. Well, what is this mystery? Well, in verse 5, he says that in other generations, it was not made known, but has now been revealed. Look at the mystery. He describes this in verse 6. It's how the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. So here is this overwhelming movement of the gospel. And what has the gospel done? Oh, this mystery, which has been hidden for ages and generations, has now been revealed. And the Gentiles are now fellow heirs and partakers in the very same thing that the Jews had access to. Uh, which, again, we've talked about this uh, in the last session, but that, that is a fulfillment of the declaration that God gave Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, God comes up to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and, and out of you, uh, you are going to be a blessing to all the nations. And of course, that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And the reality is, is that, hey, what God was doing in, in the life and, and in, the, in the country, the, the people of Israel, God wanted to do that in the entire world. And so it wasn't a, you're the greatest, you're the best, keep this to yourself. This is, hey, I am choosing you and I am going to, be, I'm going to give such a blessing in your life that, that when the world looks upon you and your life, they're going to say, I, I need what you have. In fact, there's some phenomenal illustrations of that. Uh, for example, Ruth. Uh, Ruth looked at what Naomi had and, and just said, hey, I'm going where you're going. Your God is going to be my God and I need to get in on this thing. Rahab is a great illustration of that. Here they are. They're coming in the line of promise. And, and Rahab, right, all the people of Jericho knew the stories. They had heard, hey, they were fearful. Why? They had heard what God was doing. And yet Rahab looked at the two spies and said, hey, I, I want in on this thing. Hey I, hey, I want your salvation. I want your blessing. Hey, could you, could you save me and my family? And isn't it amazing that both Ruth and Rahab were not only blessed and they got to partake in what God was doing through the Jews, but they also got to be in the lineage of Jesus himself. That is incredible. I mean, that's so amazing. So think about what Paul is saying here in our passage. He says there's this overwhelming mystery that I now get to be the servant, the steward, the, the minister of, that I have this administration, that I get to literally take this grace of God through the gospel, this declaration of truth, and literally bring it forth unto the Gentiles so that they might be able to partake in the very same thing that I get to partake in. That's phenomenal. Uh, when you look at verse 6, <clears throat> uh, it's interesting how Paul describes this overwhelming mystery or this uh, fellowship, this participation that you and I get to have with what God has been doing all along. In verse 6, he says that the Gentiles, and of course you know the Gentiles are you and me, <laughs> but the Gentiles, look at this, there's three things. 
he says they are fellow heirs, fellow members, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ. Ah, I want to break those down. I was, I was looking through this afresh, and I was, just, I was so stirred by this idea of this fellowship idea, that they're fellow heirs, fellow members, and fellow partakers. Uh, the word they're heir, uh, of course you understand that idea, someone dies, and legally the, 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 the heir is entitled to property uh, in, in, the, in certain cultures, it's to their rank, right? If, uh, if you're a king and you die, then your, your son becomes king, right? So the rank is passed, your property is passed, the, the riches or what little you have was <laughs> passed. All that is this idea of heir. Uh, one definition was it's one who obtains something assigned to himself with others or a joint participant uh, is this idea. Uh, it's interesting that this word, fellow heirs, which is one, one Greek word, fellow heirs, it only shows up four times in the New Testament. Uh, the word heir shows up 15 times, but this word fellow heir shows up only four times. And it's interesting that, that our word is that word heir, right, that shows up 15 times. It's that word, but it has a prefix in front of it, uh, which is uh, S-Y-G is, is usually, or S-Y-N, uh, sometimes how you see it. But what that word means in the Greek is this idea of with, beside, to accompany, but it denotes union. Yeah, it denotes closeness. Uh, it denotes this uh, fellowship idea. And not fellowship in the sense of like, hey, I'm going to go hang out with you for an hour and then I'm never going to see you again, fellowship. This is, hey, we, hey I'm going to be united with you. I, hey, I'm going to get really tight with you. This is like husband and wife union kind of an idea. I mean, this thing is, this is intimate. This thing is close. This thing is, so ponder this idea. It's not just an heir. It is an heir. That, it's like a joint heir, but it's so tight, it's a union. It's a, it's a with it, it, it is a participation together. It is a besides. This is linking arms together. And I mean, this is wrapping your arm around and never letting go. And this is, I mean, this is the three-legged race idea. And you're going to live the rest of your life as a three-legged race racer. <laughs> you know? it, it's, it's that kind of an idea. That, hey, we are getting together and we are going to be close in this thing. And I'm not just going to be an heir. I am going to be a participating joint heir with someone else which makes sense in our passage. Paul says, hey, do you know what the Gentiles are? They are coming together, and we are joint heirs with the Jews. The Jews and the Gentiles have come together, and now they are, they are together as heirs with Christ. Again, this particular word, this joint or fellow heirs, shows up only four times. And I just want to give them to you really quick. Uh, in Hebrews 11, 9, Abraham is said to be a joint heir of the promise with Isaac and Jacob. Now, it's interesting that, that of course, Isaac and Jacob came out of the loins of, of Abraham. But how the writer of Hebrews describes this is, is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're all coming together, and they are all participating as an heir in one single promise. Man, that's phenomenal. Uh, in 1 Peter 3, 7, this idea of a joint heir is talked about in terms of husbands and wives. Uh, obviously, one of the times it shows up is here in our passage, but the other one is in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Let me just read this to you. I, I like Romans 8, verse 17 because it uses both the word heir as well as our word, the joint or fellow heir. 
So both of them show up in this passage. Listen to this. Uh, this is Romans, six, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 16 and 17. Paul writes, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also. Right? It's that main word for heirs. And heirs, that's that word, of God. But get this, fellow heirs, which is our word, with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. So get this. Paul is saying, do you not realize that we are heirs? Which is phenomenal. And we are heirs of God. But we are, we are tight. We are in union. We are in participation. Hey, we are in fellowship. We are in joint heirs with Christ. That he is sharing in his promise. He is sharing in his life. He is sharing in his riches. He is sharing in, hey, which goes back to that 2 Peter 1-3 passage. Everything you need for life and godliness is found in Jesus. And Jesus has literally opened himself up and he is sharing with you himself, his life, his riches. Now again, that air idea has this idea of, uh, of rank or property. And so what do we do? We get, think about this. This is so incredible. We are joint heirs with Christ, which means the rank that Jesus has as the Son of God, you and I get to participate in that. We are sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Uh, we get to share in property, which is not physical, it's spiritual. That we get to participate and be, be, be heirs of the promise itself, which is life and salvation. And, isn't that amazing? Just an amazing thought. And Paul says, do you not realize that, that yeah, Jesus is God and I don't get to participate. I, I don't become God. We understand that. I don't, get, I don't get to participate in that. But I get to become Christ-like and he is pulling me in into intimacy. And, and everything that God has done in, in the life of Jesus, I get to participate and share in that. I get to share in his sufferings. I get to share in his life. That's just, oh, it's beautiful to me. So there's that idea then in verse 6 of Ephesians 3 that Paul is saying, you know what the Gentiles are doing? They are coming together and they are being unified and they get to participate in the oneness with the Jews. They're, they are joint heirs. Uh, the second one in the passage is this idea of they are fellow members. So not just fellow heirs, but they are fellow members. Uh, members here is this idea of body. Uh, a lot of times it's used for this idea of the church. And again, it's the word church or it's the word body or it's the word member in Greek. It's, it's, it's that, that, that idea with this prefix on it, which is that same prefix that you have in, in the word error. And uh, so you have the word body, soma, with this prefix, which is that with, beside, the fellowship, the partaking of, the joint uh, union idea. So I'm in union of a body. I am in withness of a body, which is not a word I know. I am besides in the body. I am in joint in the body. I'm a member in this thing. So, so here are the Jews who have been chosen by God, and they are a body. They are members. But what has God done? Oh, he has brought the Gentiles in, and now we are one body. We are with each other. We are in union with each other. Interesting that this, word, this is the only time this word shows up in the New Testament. Uh, and we walked through this in previous studies, but that idea is all over the place in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 22. 
Again, Paul's talking about the fact that here are these two groups, Jews and Gentiles. They hated each other. There's all these walls and all these divisions. But what has God done in Christ Jesus? Look at this. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse, four, uh, verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For Jesus is our peace. Verse 14. And he has made both groups one and has broken down the barrier of the dividing wall. I jump down to verse 16. So that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, thereby slaying the enmity. <laughs> Phenomenal. So in Jesus, he has brought forth peace of these two groups. They are now coming together, and now they are in such union. They are so close together. In fact, you, you look at this group, and you can't say, well, that's a Jew, that's a Gentile. You have to say, well, those are Christians. Why? Because they have gotten so tight together. They are just one together. They are just, they are one body. They are members with one another. Wouldn't that be phenomenal if we had that in the body of Christ today? <laughs> which we're supposed to. But wouldn't that be just amazing that it wasn't, well, there's the Baptist, there's the Lutheran, there's the Methodist, there's the Pentecostal, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a. It becomes a, oh, look, they're Christians. And there's this unity because Christ is the head and we are members of one body. And yeah, you might be the hand and you might be the tongue and you might be the belly button and you might be the whatever. But yeah, we are all coming together as one member, one body together, with, besides, in unity, that is the body of Christ. And Paul says that's what God's done in your life, that he has brought you together and you are partaking in this union of fellowship with the body of Christ. Now the third one he gives in verse 6 of chapter 3 of Ephesians, he says fellow heirs, number two, fellow members, and then the number three, fellow partakers. And again, isn't it interesting? It's the word to partake, uh, which is this idea of partnership. But then it has a prefix, which is that same exact prefix as the other two. So it has this idea of with. It has this idea of unity. It has this idea of besides. I don't know what you think of when you hear the word partaker. Uh, it's probably a bad, maybe a bad way of saying it. Uh, in light of, of, of the emphasis, it has this idea of partnership. Uh, but I think partnership, and I think like business deals, and something goes wrong, and psh, you cut yourself away from that thing. That's not, this seems to be stronger than that. Uh, let me just give you, let me give you one example of this. Uh, this word, by the way, this uh, fellow partakers idea, uh, only shows up two times. One obviously is here in our passage. Uh, the other time, uh, is in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 7, which we're going to get to eventually at some, uh, some future study <laughs> at some point. Uh, but this idea of partaker, uh, one illustration of that, again, this is the, this is the base word that has the prefix on it. That, that base word, basic word, shows up in Luke chapter 5, verse 7. Listen to this. Uh, again, the, the, it's the disciples, they're out on the boat and they're fishing and it says that they signaled to their partners, that's that word, in the other bo boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both of the boats to the point that they were sinking. 
So what were they doing? Oh, they, they were in this partnership together. They were in this business deal together. But it was more than that because here they are. They're in, they're in the middle of this thing and they just went, hey, ah, hey, we're having trouble. Come on, come over here. And they are participating. They are in unity, that they, they are in closeness, that they are in, hey, if, if the business does well, we, we do well together. If the business sinks, hey, we, we sink together. So there's this unity. There is this oneness. There's this richness. There's this idea. Now, it's that idea in our passage with the word with, union, besides. So this isn't just a partnership. This isn't just a, well, we all do well if, if, if we do well. We all lose if we all, you know, something, something starts going down. This is, a, this is an enhanced idea that, hey, I am in partnership with you, that I am in, clo- I am in closeness with you, and you're not going to be able to separate this thing. We are tight. We're in union partnership. <laughs> it's that idea. And what are we in partnership or, or partakers of? Oh, Paul says that you are in this tight participation. You're in this tight partnership. You're in this tight partaking of the promise in Christ. Well, what is that promise in Christ? It is himself. In fact, this idea of the promise, I love this study uh, if you want to ever do a phenomenal study, study out this idea of the promise throughout Scripture. Hey, there's a promise coming. There's a promise coming. There's a promise coming. Jesus shows up on the scene and it, it's increased. Hey, the promise of the Father. Hey, stay in Jerusalem for the promise. The promise. The prom- What's the promise? It is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. It is the infilling of the very nature of God within us. That the outside God has come to, be, to come to live on the inside. And now inside this body, there are two distinct people. There is Nathan and there's Jesus through his spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of my life. Do you know how crazy that is? Do you know how phenomenal that is? Do you know how rich that is? Do you just know that you and I get to participate in partnership, in close unity in this promise with the Holy Spirit in Christ. Uh, let me just give you a few these passages about this promise idea. I just, whew, I just love these. Uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Jesus says, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Acts chapter 2, verse 33. Therefore, since he has been exalted at the right hand of God, and has received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, he has poured out this, which you both see in here. This is uh, Peter's explanation for Pentecost. Uh, in Acts chapter 15, verse 5 through 9, it says, But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and direct them to keep the law of Moses. So here's this group, right? There's all these, there's all these Gentiles becoming Christians, and uh, the Jews are getting kind of upset going, Hey, uh, well, are they going to have to become Jews? Do they have to keep the old law? And, and so the Pharisees, some of these Pharisees who are becoming believers stood up and said, yeah, they, they need to keep the law of Moses. They need to be circumcised. Hey, they, they need to follow the rules just like we do. Hey, that's righteousness. But the apostles, it says, and the elders came together to look into the matter. And there had been much debate. And Peter stood up among them and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by the mouth, by by that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, 
testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Could you imagine? Peter stands up and says, hey, I, I don't know how to describe this. But just as God sent the Holy Spirit upon us Jews, God has sent the Holy Spirit upon those uncircumcised Gentiles. (laughs) And of course, the Jerusalem Council decided, hey, they don't have to keep the law. That's not going to be the requirement for Christianity. What's the requirement for Christianity? Stay focused. And of course, they outline four four specific things in Acts chapter 15, uh, which you probably should go out and study. But think about this idea. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, says, do you know what the Gentiles are getting to partake in? Do you know what those Gentiles are getting to be a partnership with? They are in partnership, partaking in, in this intimate closeness with the promise itself, which is Jesus, via the Holy Spirit. That is so incredible to me. So think about what Paul is saying then. There has been this mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations that has now been revealed to the apostles and the prophets. That, that there's this overwhelming movement that God has been doing. And what it, where, where has that all been focused up to this point? Well, with the Jews. But now, Paul says, God has given me this revelation, and God has so changed my life that here I am, a Jew of Jew, a Pharisee of Pharisees, as he calls himself in Philippians chapter 3. And God has done such a work in my life. Do you know what's taking place? I, who would have always cut them off, I, who have always hated that group, I am now the one that God is using to preach to this group that you get to have access to this stuff. And not just access, but now you get to be a fellow heir with the Jews. And all the promises and all the, all the things that the Jews always had access to, you now get to partake in. Not only that, but hey, he has taken you and brought you in and he's doing a brand new deal called the body of Christ, the church. And now it's not just Jewish Christians, nor is it going to be Gentile Christians. Now there's just Christian, which is so phenomenal. And hey, he's bringing you together and there's one body of Christ, one body of Christ. Not only that, but hey, you are getting to come together and you get to participate. Hey, you get to have fellowship with. You get to be a partner in the very promise of the Holy Spirit in Christ. And everything that God was doing through the lives of of the Jews, all that he did at Pentecost, you now get to partake in and get to have rich fellowship and intimacy and participation in that promise in Christ. Do you realize that's all true for you as well? That this wasn't just for the Ephesians 2,000 years ago. This is for you in 21st century. And you, in Christ, through the gospel, you can be a fellow heir, a fellow member, and a fellow partaker in the promise. And again, how, is that, how does that all come about? Well, Paul says at the end of verse 6, it is through or by the gospel. Our, our modern day has kind of diminished, I think, the gospel. Uh, the gospel has merely become, well, hey, forgiveness for your sins. And uh, hey, don't you want to come to Jesus? He'll forgive, me, forgive you of all your sins and make your life great. And you'll just, hey, skittles will fall from the sky and there'll be bunny rabbits and sunflowers and things are going to be great. That is not the gospel. Yeah, yeah, there's an aspect 
a piece of the gospel is the forgiveness of your sins. But do you realize that the gospel is so much more than merely the forgiveness of our sins? Uh, William Law said it well. He said, hey, the whole purpose of the cross wasn't merely the forgiveness of your sins. He said the purpose of the cross was for Pentecost. That the whole reason why Jesus came wasn't just to forgive you of your sins. Yes, that is huge, and I do not want to diminish that part. That is so phenomenal. That is so important. Hey, you need to be forgiven of your sins. And not just of your deeds, sins, but of sin, the nature itself. God wants to do that in your life. That he wants to cleanse and he wants to change and he wants to transform. But do you realize the reason he wants to cleanse you and transform your life is not just to forgive you of your sins. It's so that he can fill you with his spirit. So think about this. What is the gospel? Yes, it's Jesus died on the cross to forgive you of your sins. But it's Jesus died upon the cross to forgive you of your sins so that he can deal not just with your sins, but with your sin nature, so that he can actually make you a son or a daughter of the king for you have been adopted. Hey, you've been chosen before the foundations of the world and he wants to bring you in. And he wants to sit you in Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father. Right, this is Ephesians chapter two stuff. And what does he want to do? Oh, he wants to pour forth his spirit upon you and now he wants to enable you. Now he wants to live his life in and through you. That is the reality of the gospel. It's not just heaven. Yeah, that's a part of it. But this is, I get to experience eternity now because my life gets to be indwelt by the living God. And no longer do I strive. It's no longer I live my life for Christ. It's now he's wanting to live his life for me. I, I am dead to myself and alive in Christ Jesus for to me to live is Christ. See, this is, this is about him. And that is the reality of the gospel. And that's what Paul's poking at. He says, do you realize that through the gospel, you get to be fellow heirs, fellow members, and fellow partakers in this promise. Wow. Do you have that? Do, do you realize all that God has done in your life through the gospel? Have you actually embraced this reality could you honestly say, yes, I'm a fellow heir. Yes, I'm a fellow member. Yes, I'm a fellow partaker in the promise of the Holy Spirit in Christ because of the gospel. Or has your experience with the gospel been a true and false test and you just bumped your head and said, all right, good, I'm glad I'm in, but your whole life looks like the world. You're still living in junk. You're still living in sin. You're still living in addiction. See, what would it look like if the power of the gospel came and radically changed your life and you were no longer the same? See, that is what God wants to do in our lives. And do you realize it's not that you could just get to barely sneak in? This isn't like, well, you, at, least, at least you get to, you know, participate in the very back corner. Hey, at least you were chosen last, but you at least get to play the game. See, none of that's in this passage. See, this whole passage, verse 6, is all about intimacy. It's all about closeness. This is all about with, besides. This whole thing is about union, coming together. And What would it look like if you had rich union with Jesus? What if you were actually a part of the body of Christ? And it wasn't about all the divisions and all the little things. What, hey, what if you got tight with the body? Could you imagine partaking and participating with the Holy Spirit like that in this promise. That's what he wants to do in you. And if you don't have that, you need that. 
Yeah, I would encourage you would, you, would you come at the foot of the cross and just cry out to the Lord? And, Jesus, I, I need this. I need the power of your gospel. I, I need all that you have purchased in my life. I don't want just a piece of it. I want all of it. I want to live in the reality of the gospel. For some of us, though, hey, we, we read this and we're like, yes, we're so encouraged. Hey, I get to partake in this. And, Woo, this is phenomenal. Hey, look at what I get. And, but maybe for us, if I can ask a question I think is really important. Paul goes on. Again, he's talking about this idea that, verse 7, I was made a minister, which is this idea I was a servant, that, that I, was a, I was a steward. Hey, I, I'm the one that's bringing uh, the, you know, right, it's, it's, it's that platter idea, right? I'm, I'm the waiter at the table. Hey, I'm the one bringing this message, this gospel, according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by his power. I'm, hey, I am the, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. Hey, the ones that I hated, the ones I always would have cut off, I am now, God has done such a work in my life through his power that he, that, that he is now using my life as the proclamation or the tool. The, I'm now a proclaimer of this gospel to the people I always hated. Wouldn't it be interesting if God wants to do that in our lives? That those people that we just, that we just, we just can't stand, those people that just drive us crazy, hey, those people that we would consider our enemies, those, those people that, and if you're like, well, I don't have any of those kind of people in my life. <laughs> That's not true. There's people who frustrate you. Uh, all I have to do is turn on the news and look at what the political stuff's doing. <laughs> I guess, like, Lord, I'm so frustrated. But rather than being frustrated with some of the decisions that the politics uh, and, and the politics stuff that's happening right now, what if I would say, Lord, I, I, I desperately need to pray for these people. Lord, I, I desperately, I, I don't want to be frustrated with, with people in the government. Lord, I, they desperately need Jesus. So would you move upon them and, and maybe, hey, if you want to use me as the mouthpiece, they need the gospel. And that's true of people of other color. That's true of people of other cultures. That's true of other people of, of other thought processes. Hey, it, the people who are, who are running toward uh, Buddha or Islam or Hindu or secularism or money or success or entertainment, hey, those people need Jesus. And rather than being frustrated with them, rather than being frustrated with where the culture is going, would you be willing for God to use your life like Paul as a minister of the gospel of grace? To those people, well, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think I could do that. Yeah, Paul, Paul would never have said he could be a, an apostle to the Gentiles either. It was because of the overwhelming movement of God's grace in his life. It was the effectual working of God's power that allowed him to do this. So this is not in your strength. This is not in your wisdom. This is not in your ability. But would you be available for God to take your life? And to use it to proclaim the gospel to those who desperately need to hear it. Which may mean it's going to send you to people that you don't like to, <laughs> that frustrate you, that you don't like, that you may consider your enemies, that just irk you. To just, would you be willing to be used as a vessel for God to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to? Well, let's pray. Oh, Lord, we... Uh, Oh, we just celebrate the fact of the cross. Lord, we celebrate the, the reality of the gospel. Lord, thank you that, that you have not just left us Gentiles off, 
off on the side, but Lord, that your heart and your desire was to bring us in and include us into what you were doing. Lord, thank you for the effectual working of the cross. Thank you, Lord, that I get to participate in the reality of the cross. Lord, thank you that I get to be a fellow heir in union. Lord, thank you that I get to be a fellow member in the body of Christ. Lord, I, I get to intimately partake to be a partner in the promise of the Holy Spirit in Christ. Lord, we, we celebrate the fact that the gospel is even more than just forgiveness of sins. As phenomenal as that is, Lord, thank you that it's not just forgiveness of sins, but you want to deal with the sin nature itself. And not just the sin nature, but that, that hey, you have chosen us and you've adopted us. And, and now you want to so cleanse and change us and sanctify us that we can be the dwelling place of the Lord. That when the world looks upon our lives, that they don't see us, they see you. Lord, thank you that we get, a, we get to be called Christians. And Lord, if there's someone who's listening, if there's someone who's, who is here who, is, who has not embraced the reality of the gospel, Lord, I pray that you would bring such conviction such, such pressing upon their life that they just, they just cannot help themselves. Lord, they would just experience your wooing, your mercy, and your grace that they would find life and salvation in you. So Lord, I pray that they would turn, that they would repent, that they would believe, and that they would put their faith in you, that their trust, their hope is in you alone. Oh Lord, I pray that you would remove anything that we're clinging to outside of you. Lord, I pray for those of us who, who call ourselves Christians. Lord, I pray that you would put such a burn within our heart that like Paul, we want to be ministers of this gospel of grace. Lord, that we want to be used as a minister in this culture. That we want to be used as a mouthpiece for the Holy Spirit to walk into our world and proclaim the reality, the truth, the gospel. Lord, what would it look like if, if we, we weren't shying away? What, Lord, what would it look like if we just didn't hide? Lord, what would it look like if we became bold believers who are willing to take the gospel into the darkest places? Lord, places that are filled with people that are not like us, who have different thought processes unlike ours, who may look different, act different, talk different, live different, but who need the gospel. Lord, those people may be the people who frustrate us. They may be the people that just, we may even consider our enemies, but Lord, like you did in Paul, could you do such a deep work in our lives that perhaps those who have hurt us, those who most frustrate us, those who, who anger us, those, those who have caused great pain in our life, those that we've always just written off, Lord, I pray you would put a burden in our hearts an overwhelming love for those individuals. And Lord, by your power, would you do such a stirring and a work in our lives that we cannot help but go to those people and be ministers of the gospel. Lord, this world would turn upside down if, if every believer oh, recognized themselves as a, gospel, as a minister of the gospel of grace. So Lord, will you, will you push us out of our, our comfort zone? Would you push us out of our passivity would you let us experience the reality, the truth of your life, of your love, 
your desire to win this world through the gospel. Oh, we love you, Jesus. You're so good. We just give you all the praise and all the glory. In your precious, powerful name we pray. Thank you for listening to this study from the book of Ephesians with Nathan Johnson. If you would like additional resources to help you build your life around Jesus, I encourage you to check out my website at deeperchristian.com. This podcast is the audio version taken from my video series in Ephesians. And if you'd like to view the video version of this study, you can do so by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians. Know I am cheering you on as you build your life around and upon Jesus Christ. See you next time.